I'm curious if you have a favorite smiting story. Uh, a lot of stories in the Bible where God smites people, and I'm just curious if you have a favorite. I have several favorite smiting stories. Uh, I think for style points, uh, the death of Korah and the rebellious family members that are with him when they are swallowed by the earth in Leviticus is pretty awesome, but not my favorite. My favorite smiting story comes in 2 Kings, I think it's chapter 2. There's a guy named Elisha who is the disciple of Elijah, and he's kind of wandering through the countryside, and a, a gang of teenagers comes up around him, and uh, they threaten him, and he calls, and the Bible says, two she-bears, I don't know why it matters that they're female bears, but two she-bears show up, and they maul 42 of the teenagers to death. And I just think, that is a great story. Uh, It's great for a couple of reasons, okay? First of all, I I have to assume there's a lot of people after Elisha, right? Because if you've ever seen, you know, what's that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio where he gets mauled by the bear? It takes a while to be mauled by a bear. So if two bears can get 42 people, I'm assuming there's like hundreds of these teenagers after him, right? Um, But that's not why I love the story. I love the story because um, while they are pursuing Elijah, Elisha, uh, they they start calling him names, and what they call him is bald head. And so they say, go away, bald head, go away, bald head, and then the bears come and kill them all. And I think the message of the story is clearly, don't mess with bald people (laughs) just in general, right? Uh, and so, um, actually, Dan, I was thinking this would be a good message for the youth group at some point. Yeah, you're with me. Okay, good. Um, there, there are a lot of great smiting stories in the Bible. Uh, and uh, some of them are funny. Some of them are kind of intense. Some of them um, we get. Some of them we don't. But, but sometimes I think we run into enough of the smiting stories, and we hear enough stories about um, God being angry with the people that we start getting a a, a misconception in our head about what God's like. And sometimes I think we start believing that God is kind of angry all the time. So let's let's talk for a minute about anger, because anger itself is not a bad thing, right? It's it's good to be angry sometimes. If you are confronted with injustice or evil, you should respond with anger, right? Not indifference, um, but anger is the appropriate response. But, but when we talk about an angry person, we mean somebody who tends to get angry uh, too often or, or out of proportion, right, too much. Uh, and, and you've probably known some angry people in your life, folks that just fly off the handle about silly things, right? Uh, the waiter gets their order wrong and it ruins their day. Uh, and, and I think sometimes as we come to the Bible, we worry Not that God is sometimes angry, of course He should be angry at evil and injustice, um, but that sometimes we get this perception God might be an angry person. There's a number of problems with this. Um, First, it's hard to trust an angry person, right? It's hard to want to follow someone who's angry all the time. It's also hard to believe that person won't get angry with you. And I think sometimes our... um, misconception about God has led us to see Him as this sort of angry judge or parent or like a malicious Santa Claus keeping a list and and, and being furious over every little detail or every little mistake that we make. 
Uh, It's hard to want to follow a God like that. It's hard to trust a God like that. Um, You can fear a God like that, but it's hard to love one, right? Just like it's hard to love a person like that. And and so I think sometimes we have this idea that, that God is just this angry person, and in some moments that anger just spills out, right? Just uncontrollably. So I want to think about that this morning, and I want to think about that misconception of God by particularly reading two stories. One of them um, we just read in the Gospel of Luke in the 22nd chapter. It's such an interesting story uh, because it's a story about Jesus, and, and even though sometimes we think of God as angry, we don't usually think about Jesus as an angry person, right? We uh, we know Jesus gets angry sometimes. In the Bible, Jesus gets angry when He sees religious people making it hard for sinners to come to repentance. Jesus gets angry in the Bible when He sees people trying to make money off of other people's faith. But in general, we don't perceive Jesus as an angry person. So, this is such an interesting story for me. We come to Jesus in the worst day of His life. I mean, literally, the worst and last day of His earthly life. And in this moment, Jesus is frustrated with the disciples. They've fallen asleep on Him um, when He is in desperate need of their support. And Jesus is aware that Judas is coming and, and in fact, in our story, arrives and betrays Him. Uh, and, And the disciples... Um, respond by pulling out their swords and and cutting off the ear of the high priest. Uh, And then we get this really weird, awesome, confusing moment where Jesus picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on. This is a weird moment. It's actually mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospels talk about this incident about the cutting off of the ear. And we get some other details in other Gospels. We know that it's Peter who swings the sword. We know that the, the slave's name is Malchus, um, but it's only in Luke where we're told that Jesus puts the ear back on. Now, first of all, that's kind of gross, right? Just the whole thing is gross. Um, but, but kind of amazing at the same time, um, this is Jesus in the worst day of His life. His friends have fallen asleep on Him, Another one just betrayed him. They're all about to abandon him. He's going to be imprisoned overnight. He's going to be tried by the people that he came to save. He's going to be beaten. And then ultimately, he's going to be killed in the most painful way that anyone knew how to kill a person at that time. And then he's going to descend into hell for three days. And if ever there was a time where you might um, have your anger just spill out uncontrollably, it's at this moment. That's not what spills out of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? It's almost like He can't help having compassion even on the people that are arresting Him. It just, it's almost instinctive. Oh, yeah, okay, you lost your ear. Let me put it back on. Okay, now you can get back to being evil and arresting me again. Uh, I'm sympathetic with the disciples here, but I hope you notice how much the disciples get wrong in this story. It's an interesting story. Only Jesus speaks in this moment of the Gospel of Luke, except for one disciple, which might be Peter, we're not sure. But otherwise, it's just Jesus speaking. He's in control, right? I mean, He's being arrested, but He's clearly in control. One of the disciples says, Lord, should we strike with our swords? But you notice what the disciples don't do? Uh, Number one, they didn't stay up and pray. 
Number two, they don't wait for an answer, right? He says, should we strike with our swords? And they don't wait to see if Jesus says yes or no. Uh, And number three, uh, they don't seem to remember any of his message because this is the same teacher who said, love your enemies and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. The same teacher who a few hours later will hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's almost like the disciples have forgotten what Jesus is like. And I think we fall into this category, right? I think that sometimes, um, like the disciples, we start believing that Jesus and God are this angry person, and actually sometimes we want them to be angry, don't we? Sometimes we'd like it if God would just smite the people that we think need to be smitten when we want them smited. Uh, And we're frustrated when God waits, right? I mean, the disciples clearly are. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Now's the time for the swords. I think there are plenty of moments in our lives where we say, boy, um, I would like God um, to wreak some vengeance here. I'd like God to punish these people. Uh, Sometimes that's personal in our lives. Sometimes it's big. On, on, On the geopolitical stage, we watch the horror happening in Ukraine, and we say, it would be great if God would just like make that stop, right? Just punish the bad guys. And that's my personal wish, right? But, but He's not doing it because it seems like God is really slow in this stuff, right? He's really slow in this stuff. Sometimes we look at our own lives and we think, um, maybe this bad thing is happening to me because God is punishing me. Maybe this this bad thing that happened in my life is happening because of that sin I did last week or last year or 10 years ago. We forget that's not how Jesus seems to work, right? It's not anger that spills out of Him, it's compassion. Okay, Jim, sure, cool. We like Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. Jesus is a nice guy. But Jim, what about the rest of the Old Testament, right? Because the Old Testament, God seems very smitey right? The Old Testament, God seems often angry. What about all those stories? There is an important difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament that we need to kind of keep in the back of our minds. We've said this before, but it bears repeating. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the people of God don't yet have an understanding of the afterlife, right? They don't, uh, they eventually they do, but for most of it, They don't really understand this idea that when you die, there's a final judgment. They don't get that. And so, um, as a teaching tool, God often brings blessings and curses, rewards and punishments in this life during the story of the Old Testament. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, it's clear He doesn't punish every error, nor does He reward every good deed in this life. But but as a teaching tool, very often He does... um, give blessings and curses in this life. But even in the Old Testament, it's overwhelmingly clear that God is not a God who's angry. So come with me to Exodus chapter 34 again. Uh, Exodus 34 is an incredible story. There really isn't one like it in the Old Testament. Um, It is the story of Moses seeing God. Now, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, Jim. There's a lot of cool stories that happen. You're talking back a lot during the sermon, by the way. Um, Wait a minute, Jim. There's a lot of cool stories in uh, the Old Testament where people see God, right? How about the burning bush? How about the pillar of fire and cloud? How about Elijah on the mountain and the sound of sheer silence and all these moments? Yeah, but this one's different. 
This is the only time in the entire Old Testament where people get to see God's glory um, in as much as they can physically handle. We know it's different because when Moses comes off the mountain uh, after these 40 days, after this experience of seeing God's glory in chapter 34, his face glows for the rest of his life. In fact, he has to wear a veil over his face so it doesn't freak people out. Something incredibly special happens in this moment unlike all the other appearances of God in the Old Testament. So God tells Moses in chapter 33, yes, you can see my glory, but I'm going to cover uh, your face. You can't see my face. You can see my backside glory. Uh, And then um, Moses gets the the stone tablets and he shows up. In verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then listen to the description of God's glory as it passes by. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. It's interesting that when we get the most intense experience of God's presence in the entire Old Testament. There's no visual description. Wouldn't it be cool if they said, boy, it was this awesome cloud and it was all glowy. And wouldn't it be cool if they said, wow, we saw a figure with like really big biceps and a bald head going through. Or, I mean, could have been anything, right? But we don't get any physical description. What we get is a spiritual description. We get a description of the character of God. When Moses has this encounter um, of God's presence unlike any other, he learns about God's character. And, And yes, absolutely, we have language about justice, but before that comes language about mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, Scripture says. Uh, And we have this one line I really love. Um, It says, "A, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger. We think of God as quick to anger, um, but Scripture says, no, He's the opposite. By the way, in Hebrew, this doesn't actually say slow to anger. Um, uh, this is an, a Hebrew idiom. It actually says He's long of nose, okay, like, like His nose is long, um, which is an interesting idea. So, have you ever been so angry that like your face started getting hot? right? Like we talk about hot under the collar, right? Just, your face was warm or blotchy, right? So, uh, the Israelites thought about anger like this. In fact, um, most of the Hebrew words for anger are either nose or hot or hot nose, okay? And, and their image is like, you know, as your face gets red and hot, your nose is the last thing to fill up, and then you, you sort of blow your top, right? So, Scripture again and again describes God as long-nosed, That's such a cool idea, right? That it it takes God a really, really long time to get angry. It's not that He doesn't, not that injustice and evil can't eventually frustrate God, but your little individual acts, whatever you did today or yesterday or last week or 10 years ago, um, are not enough to, to make God's long nose get hot. Instead, we have this story of a God who is slow to anger, um, and abounding in, in steadfast love. 
Uh, just a, a couple of really, really cool details in here that I love. Um, you don't have to do this. If you have a Bible open and you happen to look at um, Exodus chapter 31, um, just before the whole golden calf thing, okay? So we're in the golden calf arc. 32 to 34 is all about the golden calf and the follow-up and the recovenanting. Um, but in chapter 31, right before Moses comes off the mountain the first time, we get instructions about the Sabbath, okay? Instructions about the Sabbath in chapter 31, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. And then we have the golden calf, and then we have Moses asking God to take them back, and then we have the glory of God appearing in the new tablets and the shining face of Moses, and he comes off the mountain, and then chapter 35, you know what he starts talking about again? The Sabbath, right back to, the, right back to where we were before the whole golden calf thing. And, and I think the message is that it's like it never happened, that God who is so slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, is willing to forgive completely everything Israel has done. Now, this idea of a God who is slow to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love, is, is the God the people of the Old Testament recognize, and it's the God we see in Jesus, not indifferent to injustice, but inclined to forgiveness. And again, sometimes this is a problem. You guys remember the story of Jonah, right? Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, gets spit up, goes to Nineveh, etc., etc. It's a weird story, right? We should do a whole thing on Jonah sometime, but it's a weird story because we don't know why Jonah runs away, right? Jo Jonah says, I'm, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go somewhere else. Nineveh is a capital of an Assyrian empire and just bad guys, just bad people. Um, we don't know why Jonah wasn't go there until we get to the end of the story. And in chapter 4, <clears throat> Jonah sits down and he wants to see what God's going to do. He's gone to Nineveh, finally. The fish thing is over. And he's preached that they're going to die if they don't repent. Um, and then the people in Nineveh actually do repent. But this thing was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled at the beginning, for I knew you were a God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? See, I think sometimes our problem is that we'd rather have an angry God. Right? This is Jonah's issue. He'd much rather have a God that would kill all his enemies than a God that would forgive his enemies, so much so that he's going to get on a boat and get swallowed by a fish and all that stuff to avoid um, the possibility of the God of forgiveness that he knows forgiving somebody else. Remember the story of the two brothers uh, that Jesus tells, the prodigal son and the older brother? And the prodigal son leaves and comes back and is forgiven by his father. But the older brother stays outside and is angry. Because right? sometimes we like the idea of an angry God when He's not angry at us. There's an old Hebrew story that's told about Abraham. And uh, not in the Bible, right? Just a story that's told. Uh, Abraham is uh, sitting in his tent and an old man comes by who looks uh, in, in sort of dire straits. And so he runs out and he brings him to his tent, and he washes his feet, and he sets him down at his table, and he prepares a meal for him. 
Uh, and as they're sitting together to have this meal, oh, he puts some new clothes on them, all that stuff. They're sitting together to have this meal, and the man starts eating without praying. And Abraham says, whoa, 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 don't you pray before your meals? And the man says, no, I don't really believe in God. And Abraham takes him and he throws him out of his tent in a, in a fit of rage. And later that night, God shows up to Abraham and He says, um, what happened with that man? And Abraham says, well, he didn't believe in you, so I threw him out. And God said, I put up with him for 80 years. You couldn't make it through one night? Part of the challenge for us is when we come to recognize that our God is a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who heals those who arrest Him and prays for those who execute Him, we realize we have to be like that too. And so this is the call of the Christian life is to say, hey, I, I want to model my life after Jesus. I want to be a person who is long of nose, uh, who is willing to pray of those um, that Jesus came to pray and forgive. Uh, doesn't mean I don't care about injustice. Doesn't mean I don't care about evil. Um, but I'm called, I'm called to be like Jesus. I'm called to be like God. And the hope is uh, every time we make a long-nosed decision, we can point people uh, to the God of compassion and grace that we know in Jesus our Savior. Maybe so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.